is now move into, we're naturally all sort of moving into the fireside chat. And I have uh, uh, some questions here that I want to pose to, to both of you, but I also want to just congratulate you that neither one of you is running a cruise uh, cruise ship line or, or, wow. or, or an airline. Wow. Of, you know, can you imagine, you know, running a business where the revenue is zero? I mean, that that's, that's tough, right? So... Uh, so the, the chemical industry, the good news is the chemical industry is sort of in the middle of the road. In other words, there are industries that are, that are, did far worse because of the pandemic and then there are others who did better. But, uh, but uh, boy, thank God we weren't in the entertainment business, uh, theater business, wow. or movie business, right? What a tough, what a tough time. I, I mean, my heart goes out to them. I don't know, you're in the hotel business. I mean, what a tough time. Yeah, that's right. One, one last comment, though, before we go into my questions is I have the great honor to uh, have been on the board of Societe de Chimie Industrial for many years, and I'm currently uh, president. And Jim and Raj, we place so much emphasis on education. We give scholarships we're, uh, to, to young people studying chemical engineering, uh, biotech, and, and chemistry, uh, but also we try to have monthly uh, programs on the kinds of issues you're talking about. So for example, we had one on the challenge of plastic recycling and also on digitization. In fact, the one on recycling had a senior executive from Dow who was the speaker and did a great job. So uh, these are things that we should all really uh, care about. So I think the first question is, um, uh, since we've been going alphabetical, I'll stay on that. That way I won't get confused, right? Uh, <laughs> Let me start out uh, with a question about uh, an additional question about the pandemic. And, you know, the, the pandemic uh, hit very suddenly. No one could have, you know, have anticipated it, but it had multiple effects all at once. It had the business, it, but then it also affect how people could work together and so forth. So created a lot of challenge. So Jim, uh, for you, uh, when all this hit, how did you figure out how to prioritize and figure out what things to work on? Because there were so many things happening all at the same time. Yeah, not, not easy. I would say um, we had a pandemic plan that was in place. If you go back, uh, we, we had the experience. I lived in Asia when we were in the first wave of SARS. So we had seen pandemic issues before. So we had a pandemic plan in place that said, what would we do? How would you go to work remotely? How would you, you know, who was essential to come into the operation? So literally, it didn't take us more than a few days to to make that adjustment and move over. And we have a very good IT framework. So our ability to have the bandwidth and do what we need to do to be able to have these kind of meetings, the team reacted pretty quickly to do that. I would say the tougher part was keeping up with customers. I would, the first two weeks, after the pandemic hit, I bet every week I was on the phone with 10 or 15 CEOs of customers or suppliers, just talking to them, trying to get a view on what visibility looked like for them. That was probably the tougher part. And at the same time, you went through a wave of time where you just didn't have any orders coming in. So as Raj mentioned, you know, automotive was shut down, you know, 60-70% reductions in manufacturing rates. So we were looking at, you know, how long is automotive going to be down? What 
you know, we were hitting 40, 50% operating rates on some of our assets. So how long can you run that way before you have to think about really taking something down to zero and how long would it be down for that way? Lots of communications, lots of time on meetings, but if you have a good experienced workforce, you can make that move happen relatively quickly. Uh, the other thing I would say is um, it tests you on things at the time. Remember, we didn't have a lot of testing going on. Right. So we had to put protocols in place. And, you know, it was basic things, but our protocols were around symptoms, uh, taking temperatures, asking a lot of questions of people when they had to report into work, and doing contact tracing. One of the things we had to do early on was train up enough people to do contact tracing that if somebody was sick or came in contact that somebody was sick, we had enough medical people trained up to do contact tracing so that we could know, hey, let's keep that person at home and isolated and not bring them into the workplace. Because the industry is more used to using PPE and those kind of measures, our, our case rates and our incidence rates have been a lot lower than what we see publicly in the communities around us. But a lot of it's because we kept people at home and quarantined and didn't let them come into the workplace and didn't let the workplace become a, pra a place where it could get spread. And so that put some restrictions on what we could do with work, but I think it kept us safer in the long run. So we're seeing increase in rates right now, but still much below what we see in the general population. Yeah, but also I suspect it the challenge was different depending on what the job, you know, the person's job is. Oh, Obviously, sure. If someone's working in the, in the finance department at Dow, it's quite different than if they're working in a lab, right? I mean, you know, right. uh, I suspect some of the lab work is kind of hard to do at home, right? Well, a lot of labs, a lot of labs are pretty automated right now. So you, you might find in a big lab, maybe only one or two people. So there's not as much contact as you would expect. And a lot of things are, captured digitally and done digitally. So we could keep people in the labs, uh, finance people went home. I mean, we, we closed the books, you know, the first, you know, it was middle of April, March, April, we got into this and we're closing the books at home without any incidents at the end of the second quarter on time, just as quick as we closed them any other way. So, you know, you learn a lot about what the organization can do and, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? You, yeah. you didn't have a choice. How did, it, uh, how did all of this change the way you were engaging with employees and investors and board members? I'm sure it had a, bit, had a significant impact. I was, having, I was having a communication session like this with all the global people leaders of the company every week for an hour and uh, we would get on in the morning and we'd have an hour and we'd go through topics of the day and we'd do Q&A with them. And it kept everybody aligned. And when we did that religiously through the second quarter to try to keep everybody focused and try to bring up issues that they were facing in the workplace, um, I think that was pretty impactful. And if I was doing that, of course, everybody down the rank was doing more than that with their own individual teams. Yeah. Turning to you, Raj, you know, you're, you have a unique situation now because you're involved with companies in three very different areas. You know, one being healthcare, uh, the other being automotive and the other, especially materials. 
So maybe could you reflect on maybe as in your experiences and being on those boards, how it how did it feel differently, I guess? And, and did they have to uh, behave in a different way because of the nature of the industry they're in? No question about it. So they said, when I made the remark, there's certain things which cut across every industry. Because the moment this happens, you worry first thing is about your employees staying safe. Related to that is how do you change the work, work practices? so that uh, people who can work out from home can do that. People who have to come to work, factories all around the world, what protocol we put, what distance will we keep, uh, what, uh, how we, what we measure. I mean, give you a very simple example. It may sound kind of strange. You know, we used to have, we have like 60,000 employees at Aptiv in Mexico. And most of them live in nearby communities. We used to have buses carrying 40 of them in one bus. We then had to cut it down to five feet, six people in bus to keep the six foot distance. So can you imagine, you know, what do you do with the infrastructure <laughs> of something like that? And, and then of course, you know, in, in, in assembly plants, you have people sitting next to each other on a desk. Now you're trying to create the six foot distance. So all of a sudden, not only you have to physically change the facilities, you have changed the logistics of things and put resources. So it's obviously adds time and cost to figure out how are you going to function even while you have to function not only now, but you have to now think about how it affects even when the times are normal. So, so there's a whole bunch of things that I that were common. Employee safety, how we work with essential people who are in the field. I, I think what Jim said is absolutely right constant, constant communication with the employees uh, all the way from the top and down to different levels. Same kind of rhythm with, the, with, with your investors, the key investors to make sure that they understand what is going on. Then of course the issues, as I mentioned to you, the communication on all the boards with the board members and I'm chair of two companies with me and the CEO is at a different level than ever before. Uh, you know, so, so because a lot, a lot of moving parts. And so, so there are certain things that are common. Then of course, there are other pieces which are different. So for example, in case of uh, healthcare company, we had, did not have, they're still growing at five, six, 7% revenue on a steady basis, expanding margins, generating huge amount of cash, stock prices doubled in a year. I mean, this is a completely different environment, but at the same time, you have to then be thinking about, you know, we didn't have to deal with the salary deductions. We didn't have to deal about the bonus payouts, but we had to think about how are we going to position our company so that we are going to be relevant with this whole change in the healthcare industry that's taking place. How do we participate in the COVID vaccine market? How do we make sure our supply chains are fixed because a lot of things are coming out of India and China. So how do, how do we manage some of that? Then of course, thinking about where do we position our portfolio? A lot of focus on things that are going to be in the future. So very different conversation. In case of Aptiv, which is automotive, you know, to emphasize the point Jim made, we have 20,000 engineers in the company and 7,000 are software engineers. And who would have thought 10 years ago that the automotive supplier will have 40% of the technical workforce as software engineers. 
because what we are focused on is safe diving. Safety, safety is very important. Automation is important. And all, all of those things are essentially related to technology. Yeah. I mean, if you look at inside the car today, it's the computer brain with high durability and high reliability based entirely on the internet. That's how the car is going to be driven when they're going to be autonomous cars. So, so you are really preparing for a massive transformation of the industry while at the same time you're dealing with making sure that you're producing products for your customers. We produce like, I don't know what the numbers are like, millions of parts a day supplied from 350 facilities around the world and on time. I mean, the complexity of managing that supply chain is pretty impressive. And we also rely on our suppliers. So again, very different kind of industry within each. Yeah. So we have to take some dramatic actions. We are concerned about our liquidity. If your demand is down 50, 60%, doesn't matter how healthy you are, you break even point is 30% below your normal value revenue range, you go down 70%, you're draining money like there's no tomorrow. So we raised four, $5 billion, half, half in equity, half in debt at the bottom of the market in, in, in April. Yeah. So in fact, if you look at the numbers, one of the first things that chemical companies and companies in general did was immediately attack the liquidity issue because they just absolutely. didn't know they didn't know how much cash was enough, right, to get through because of the difficulty of forecasting. But most people, they just, the fortunate, the fortunate thing is that access to liquidity was good, but that was the first thing that the treasurers and CFOs had to focus on, which is how do I make sure I have enough liquidity to get through this crisis, right? Absolutely. So, so again, the point is, you know, every industry, every company, had some common issues they dealt with, and there were some very unique challenges and opportunities for them. And I think where we are moving towards in each one of these companies is look beyond while managing this transition effectively, but look beyond what our world would look like and how ready we are for that. Yeah. And in fact, one of the challenges in, these, in all of these things is, and what's challenging for a board and challenging for a CEO is even though you really have to spend a lot of time on the execution, the managing people and so forth, you have to be able to step back and look at the big picture, right? Because there, there are major structural changes that are happening pretty much in every industry. I mean, even the more mature industries are going through uh, structural changes. And as a CEO of board, if you don't look five, 10 years ahead and say, how is the world gonna intersect with my, uh, you know, with my business, you're gonna end up uh, uh, in, in serious trouble. And, and I, uh, the example I love to give is the difference between what Netflix did when they were just mailing DVDs all around and the CEO figured out that that business was gonna go away and it was gonna be a streaming video. And so he went into that and everybody thought he was crazy because he, you know, he was the leader in mailing DVDs around. Contrast that with Blockbuster who had all these stores renting out you know, VHS tapes, and then they went to CDs and so forth, and they never saw it coming. They, but they could have seen it. They could have seen it coming and made adjustments, but they never did, right? And I think all this applies to all industries, right? Because there's no industry that isn't going to go through structural changes over time, right? And, and so you have to anticipate it. One other question for both of you, I'll start with Jim, is 
one of the big challenges is the pace of change, right? So we talk about change, but there's an additional strain, an additional burden on management because the pace of change has gone up so fast. Jim, you want to comment a little bit on that? Because you're, you know, a lot of things are happening and a lot faster than they than they than they did before. And in an industry um, which is a, a capital intensive industry, sometimes the ability to pivot and make those changes isn't as fast as making a software change in, in a piece of uh, of uh, electronic equipment and making that adaption. So, you know, the pace of change is has gone for us as well. Um, and it always, you get yourself into a, a state where it always feels like you're a little bit behind and playing catch up. And so that, you know, kind of also puts a little bit of weight on your organization. You want to keep them stretched and you want to keep goals in front of them, but you also don't want them to get demotivated uh, as they're going through all that. I think the the two biggest changes that we've got coming in front of us right now, uh, and they were they were coming at us before we got into uh, COVID, were we'd been on about a 30-year run here of globalization and trade policies designed to globalize the world, um, and now we're starting to look at a, a pullback from that, and and whether it was the U.S.-China trade relations that kind of accelerated that. The reality is starting to see some pullback from that. Uh, Europe focused on the EU and EU competitiveness, US and China focused on what we're gonna do longer term. Even even US-India relations, India and the ASEAN versus China, th those dynamics are at play. Um, and we don't know yet how that's all going to settle out, except to say that these are all big markets and I think you're going to see a, a trend towards more self-sufficiency in those markets. That was always the driver anyway for China was to be more self-sufficient um, and to be able to support the middle class growth and the consumption patterns of its own market first and then look at the rest of the world. Um, the other thing is just what's coming at us with climate change, regulatory policy, tax policy, some of the other things. Uh, it's not easy. Um, because as I said, this is not cheaper to do this, and and we're in a we're in a really interesting time from an energy standpoint because energy electricity today is about 20% of the world's energy use. So if you electrify everything, automobiles and everything, um, you're going to put a lot of pressure on the grids around the world, and we just don't have the ability to be able to move everything to electric at the same time everybody wants to move everything away from fossil fuels without getting into some really unreliable situations. And you have seen it front and center in California already. And so that possibility exists in the entire United States and it exists in Europe as well. So I think, you know, coming back to the science and technology part is our climate policy and our energy policy globally have got to go hand in hand. And if Europe and the United States from a regulatory position, let's say the US decides to sign Paris Agreement on day one, that's great. Most industry was headed down that path. But if we do sign on and the EU signs on and we both try to tackle that and China and India aren't part of that, then we possibly could make ourselves uncompetitive at the same time 
we don't solve the climate problem. That's something we have to be careful about as we go into this is let's, in the zeal to be fast, we also have to be smart about these policies and make sure that we can both maintain competitiveness, make a return, because somebody has to pay for this move to a greater economy. Now, Jim, you obviously were peeking at the question because you managed to, to, I did. to address two of the questions there, yeah. it was good. Well, I'm watching the clock and the questions, so I figure yeah, you no, want to no. get some so of these in here, right? The question. So I have a, uh, uh, one question here is, well, first of all, we managed to go for 45 minutes and no one talked about the election or anything. But uh, one of the questions did say, uh, relate to that, from an anonymous attendee, right, who says, what's the impact of the current politics, which I guess is a euphemism for a lot of things, right, on regulatory and government issues, and you know how, how what effect do the, you think it's going to have on the chemistry? And maybe Raj, I'll start with you, and then we'll go to back to Jim. Well, you know, in in some ways, it's a great outcome because nothing big can happen. You know, we still have a divided house in a way. Uh, you know, you have a Senate which is. Uh, majority looks like it's going to retain majority of the Republicans and the Democrats have hopefully the White House is finally in place and the, and the House of Representatives. So I, I think the certain things which were big policy changes led by president might get undone like the Paris Accord and a few other things. Uh, I don't know if we have enough goodwill left to re-sign the, you know, the uh, Asian the trade pact with uh, your TPP, the TPP. Yes, TPP, yeah. and you know, because this, the 12 countries seem to have taken the momentum of their own. They're in a much more stronger position than we are. So, so I think, you know, Mexico one looks like at least it got reshaped. It's not completely uh, destroyed as we were concerned because at one time it looked like it's going to really have dramatic impact, but it's been moderated and modified. So, so I think uh, there are bigger issues emerging here is nationalization and more independence and certain industries more than others. Uh, and, and I think that that is going to lead to a huge change. And I would also say, you know, the supply chain where everybody got so hooked up on just in time. I don't want to hold inventory if I order now, I, it should be on my door in one hour or next day because that's the best way my customers. But if the supply chains change, I, I think our expectations on that front may have to change a little bit too. So all I'm saying is there is a whole bunch of things which is going to be some, but my sense is the regulatory changes initiated by the government may be slower, but frankly, the industry across the board has already been moving at their speed because they have to come, but if it's not United States, it's Western Europe where they have to comply with certain laws. China have their own sets of laws. So I think everybody is still trying to keep pace of moving up that curve. So I, I, my, my personal feeling is, you know, US regulatory changes are gonna take time to come in place. Yeah. And Raj, you must've been peeking at the questions as well, as well because you addressed one question from Carlos Cabrera, which was, you know, what's your view about the future relative to globalization versus this repatriation of, of, uh, of production to the U.S. And, and regional? Jim, you know, Jim commented on that briefly, right? When, when you were talking about supply chains and 
and so forth. Any comments on that? Do you see that uh, either the, the combination of global situations and politics causing us to be more, uh, shall we say, self-dependent or will that movement you know, uh, slow down with the change in politics and government situations? Jim? You know, I've seen, there was a lot of ac activity at the beginning of COVID around PPE and the ability to make PPE here. Um, and the fact of the matter was the supply chain had shifted to where most of that was coming from overseas. So we've seen some moves and some investments that make sense. I think you'll probably see uh, some of the vaccine production will be made here in the United States. Not It won't all be in India and China. So I think we'll see some changes like that. But but remember, we're we're reversing 30 years of of globalization, and that isn't going to happen overnight. And some and some industries, these are big assets, and everybody's moved a little bit to their area of expertise. So you can oversimplify things, and you can say, you know, we we exported manufacturing to China. And all those jobs went to China. But if you go into a Chinese facility, what you'll find is it's pretty advanced robotics and automation. Right. And so right. when we look at it and we say we're going to bring it back into the States, you know, well, we have to be able to do that kind of advanced robotics and automations. And when people were talking about making PPE here, guess where the machines were coming from? China yeah. to yeah. be able to make PPE here. So we can... I think we can do it. I think we can bring manufacturing back here. I think we can balance things out. If you look at sustainability, kind of the unknown on sustainability is we all have scope one and two emissions, which are part of our CO2 footprint, but scope three, which includes the supply chain and shipping products to our customers, for us is two times my scope one and two emissions. So there's probably some sustainability pressures that are going to say maybe some of these supply chains should be shortened up a little bit as well. So I want to congratulate the speakers because you've managed to answer almost all except one last question that just came in. So we, we uh, and some of the questions, you know, actually overlapped with each other. Uh, but uh, I want to uh, thank both of you. This has been a really terrific session. I think we hit on some very, very important issues facing the industry. Uh, and I congratulate you also, both of you in your role with the companies that you are either running as a CEO or on the board for doing the right things in terms of maneuvering through not only a pandemic, but the overall big picture structural change that are happening in the world. It's just not easy. Uh, I think the world was an easier, it was easier to be a CEO about a hundred years ago uh, and, and, and somebody says it was also easier to be president when it took three weeks for, the, for, the, for them to send battleships over to your country so you have time to think about it. So I want to congratulate both of you and also the audience for some really uh, terrific questions. So with that, we'd like to end this, the keynote speech and fireside chat.